I think the sectors which will have, uh, and I won't say sectors, I would say type of businesses who will face a tough time if they're asset heavy, they're burning a lot of cash and they've mm. taken on debt mm. um, and their burn rate is very high vis-a-vis the profit uh, for a D2C brand if your margins are not being met, right? the margins are low. I think those kind of businesses will have a tough time. But, uh, but there is no one sector in my mind uh, which is which is under the radar or, or which is which is not uh, on the radar for investors like us. Hi, wherever you're listening to me, I hope you're doing well. Welcome to the Daily Tech Conversation, where we bring you insights from tech entrepreneurs, CXOs, and investors. I'm Hari Arakli. And in this episode, Shashank Ranadev, a partner at 100XVC, discusses some of the highlights of a new report that the early-stage venture capital firm has recently published on the outlook for various startup sectors in India, from software as a service to quick-service restaurants or cloud kitchens. Several factors are coming together to make the way ahead a promising one for tech-led ventures in India, Shashank says arguing that amid all the noise about a slowdown and tough times ahead, 2023 is a great year to start up. Shashank, thank you so much for making time for this in the middle of your work day. Really appreciate it. And uh, for those who may not know about your work, uh, for the general listener, uh, maybe you could give us a quick two-minute overview of what uh, 100XVC is all about, and then we'll go from there. Sure. No, thanks, Hari, for having me here and, you know, an absolute pleasure. Uh, so for those who don't know 100X, you know, we are an early stage fund, a SEBI registered category one fund uh, established in 2019. And since then, we've uh, invested in 105 companies. And uh, uh, we are essentially the first check in our portfolio companies, very sector agnostic hmm. uh, and working at the bottom of the pyramid uh, as a discovery fund for any follow on investors, be it angel investors, angel networks, uh, uh, growth stage VC funds. Um, you know, and we started with a check size of 25 lakhs per company. And uh, after investing in 80 odd companies and having raised 510 odd crore as follow-on investments uh, for those companies, we, we became a little more confident and we've now increased our check size to 1.25 crores per company. Uh, a standard check, uh, we've already gone ahead and invested in 25 companies with this check size, uh, which we are announcing on January 21st. And hence, our total portfolio stands at uh, 105. And the whole objective of 100XVC is to you know, uh, invest in 100 companies a year and thereby create a large portfolio of you know, 500-odd companies over the next few years. Uh, and giving giving these companies sort of wings to move from seed to pre-series A to series A and series B, right? Uh, so that the growth stage VCs are able to identify and invest in curated, uh, vetted, uh, and growing uh, high growth companies uh, from the 100X portfolio. Uh, we have five partners, uh, Sanjay Mehta, founder and partner, Denath Karpe, partner, uh, Yagnesh, uh, founder and uh, CFO, myself and Watsal. Uh, and all of us come from different domains, having different vantage points, uh, which gives us a collective ability to kind of identify uh, startups which are uh, at an MVP or POC stage and helping 
them and also realizing what value we can bring on to the table so that we are able to kind of take them to the next stage. So that's a very, very quick overview of 100x.pc. Very nice, quick, but fairly comprehensive. Um, uh, these must be like really interesting time for you guys, right? I mean, tough times potentially will surface uh, the best entrepreneurs and maybe it's also a great chance to uh, not worry too much of uh, about the fear of missing out, as they say, and uh, focus on some really great entrepreneurs and great ideas. What are you seeing? I mean, I'm just thinking a lot. I, I may not be exactly right, but what are you seeing? Uh, you know, so our thesis was to, uh, you know, uh, invest in a large set of companies uh, when we began in 2019. And that comes from the premise that uh, the opportunity landscape in India is really increasing and is expanding, uh, both from the top of the pyramid and bottom of the pyramid. From bottom of the pyramid, the supply of companies coming out, a lot of entrepreneurs, first-time and second-time entrepreneurs, setting up their companies in various domains. And from top of the pyramid, in terms of capital uh, to be uh, diffused, we have uh, a large set of growth-stage VCs, micro-VCs, investors who are wanting to invest in this asset class. And I think uh, and India essentially post-COVID has accelerated because of various vantage points, um, uh, be it you know, the digitization uh, through UPI of the world to you know, just um, enabling the uh, you know, digital growth via tier one, tier two, and tier three. A lot of factors have come together uh, in the last couple of years. And 2023, I think, stands uh, at a very important uh, junction for India where these startups are actually building solutions for uh, in the enterprises as well as the customers because it's a large con large consumption market. Uh, and we personally believe that you know while uh, there are you know macro issues across the globe, uh, early stage startups typically are not influenced by you know, these complex uh, ranging issues such as inflation, monetary policy, uh, unlike the equity market and the commodities or real estate for that matter, right and uh, it's a great time to be deploying capital in these cutting-edge technologies, which have somehow find the optimal time frame to grow, right? And everything has come together. And I think we're just playing a small part in enabling that culture from the bottom of the pyramid by essentially, you know, creating a large supply of, uh, you know, vetted companies. And that remains the object. And hence, we remain very excited about the whole uh, ecosystem. Mm. Some nice uh, context there as well. Uh, I want to dive into the recent report that you all have uh, released uh, about your outlook for these yeah. startups. Tell us a bit about uh, this report uh, and then we'll maybe get into some of the findings as well. Sure. So, you know, the Hari, typically, you know, every year we come up with an outlook survey, uh, which is, you know, a survey conducted between founders and investors and and then, you know, um, understanding their set of uh, perspectives and then giving Ash perspective on the same. Uh, this time around, this report is different. Uh, we're still not out with our outlook survey, but this is an outlook sector report based on our experience of having, you know, looked at 24,000 companies and having invested in 100 companies over the last three years and our perspective on how the sectors are emerging in 2023. So this is not the outlook survey, but this is just an outlook sectoral view from 100x.vc. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, broadly speaking, you know what what we feel and we we've covered in the report um, are the sectors. But on a on a macro level, I think you know the early stage startup funding momentum, in our opinion, still continues uh, in a very very accelerated mode. 
due to the increased um, investor uh, capital, which is there on one side of the spectrum in, in the form of micro VCs, family offices and angels. And on the other side of the spectrum, uh, just the sheer number of uh, startups emerging out of tier one, tier two, tier three uh, cities. And as I mentioned, the volatility, uh, volatility in the markets uh, does impact the next round of funding opportunities and investor sentiments. But in India, the customer you know, purchase intent uh, has not uh, you know, been plagued in any manner and business remains insulated and still grows. Um, as covered in our report, right? And, uh, you know, startups created particularly in 2023 will have more cash conservative attitude because they've gone through COVID. They've seen one level of funding rounds. And hence, you know, we can see some of the companies which are emerging out of this uh, year will be more growth focused and, you know, will have, uh, you know, uh, sustainable and uh, steady revenues coming in. And due to layoffs, I know at some large corporations, well-funded startups now have a very unique vantage point by having access to a very new pool of brilliant people, uh, uh, you know, during this global economic slowdown. And I think this is a very unique way of looking at talent, uh, which we've covered in our report, right? So the Indian economic resilience, I think, has, you know, uh, is giving birth to the next giants of India, so to speak, right? And they will rise up in the coming years uh, while the world over, the economy is you know, faltering uh, with the weakness in demand. India continues to rise, in our opinion. Uh, I want to uh, ask you more about some of the highlights uh, of your sector report. Uh, one thing I'm curious about is uh, anything that you're seeing that's different in terms of the kind of ideas, the quality of ideas that are coming to you at the early stage now? So, you know, we've we've been seeing a tremendous growth in tech-enabled companies. And I think this is a very great time for India to acknowledge that, you know, we are able to build and produce deep technology companies or, you know, companies uh, in the AI and ML space uh, with, you know, generative, generative AI coming in the spot, right? And these are all Indian companies, homegrown, coming out of incubation centers or second-time entrepreneurs. So the tech talent is really shaping up the tech-enabled uh, startup culture, right? So while uh, that is on the one side of the spectrum, the other side is also seeing newer D2C brands emerging, right? And India has been a brand-oriented company, a country for many years, right? But even with that, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, historical background, we, st we still are seeing emergence of new uh, products which are being consumed by Indians, right? And the need for this millennial generation or this young generation in the age group of 18 to 35, which comprises, I think, roughly 85% of the population, I think their consumption patterns are changing, their tech um, uh, understanding is changing, and our, um, our ecosystem's ability to produce these kind of solutions is really emerging. And this is what we're seeing. So we're seeing um, extreme, uh, you extreme use cases being built out, in, whether it's in B two B SaaS enterprise tech, uh, with the advent of AI, generative AI, uh, deep technology, all the way uh, to electric vehicle uh, and various ancillary subsets within that sector, uh, to D two C brands coming out, and I think overall. And as they've continuously said in the ecosystem, I think fintech is becoming horizontal. So fintech remains to be dominant. And I think it's moved to the next phase where we are seeing 
multiple sectors utilizing this function uh, of fintech, right? And that's really become strong with the infrastructure play coming in within that space. So uh, these are some of the sectors which are really, really emerging. And I think we'll continue to invest in these companies uh, in 2023. Okay. Um, I want to ask you a couple of specifics. You've mentioned SaaS, you've mentioned uh, generative AI. You've also uh, called out uh, cloud kitchens. Uh, But before that, with respect to the uh, early stage funding, you say is still doing very well. Uh, But in terms of uh, the larger companies, more established startups looking for much bigger ticket growth stage funding, uh, what's the scene there? As you know, even some of the unicorns have been announcing layoffs and so on. So how do you see that play out in 2023? So, so, you know, I have a very different view on terms of layoffs. I think layoffs is a function of rationalization um, and uh, that comes with you know maturity and uh, evolution of you know the growth stage companies i think we um, the indian ecosystem is seeing the second phase of evolution in terms of growth stage companies right unlike the silicon valley right so we are still getting used to utilizing capital getting excited hiring a lot of people and then realizing okay we need only uh, x number of people right so it's a function of all of that uh, the very fact that we are able to build out companies from seed to series A to series F to all the way to IPO, uh, uh, while some of them might not be extremely profitable, the very f- the very fact that we are able to you know go through this wave is a good indication. And uh, uh, and as I said, you know, seed stage companies have a great time in terms of receiving funding, and even for the growth stage companies, right, uh, there is enough capital to be raised. The only th- the only thing is, as a function of the ecosystem maturing, the investors are now looking at profitability, revenue, and certain metrics with a little closer eye. And hence, I think fine-tuning or tightening your processes at the growth stage and, and, and giving confidence of the, uh, of the sustainability of the company, right? Uh, uh, I think is becoming more and more uh, relevant. And if Companies at growth stage companies, uh, growth growth stage levels are are building companies which are profitable. They have you know um, uh, they have you know certain metrics in place when they're growing, um, and also you know they they're managing their balance sheets properly. I think those companies will continue to raise money, right? Because the time has come where uh, even the investors who are sitting on capital want to deploy in high growth companies. Uh, which are becoming stable, which have the ability to cater to, let's say, 100 or 200 or 300 or 500 customers or enterprises in a year, right? And if you're able to show that ability uh, without faltering, I think those are signs of a company which will certainly raise money. So yes, it's a function of the ecosystem maturing and companies who are not meeting the mark will not raise. But companies who are building great products and are showing stickiness for the product will continue to raise money. Okay, so uh, let me ask you about some of these specific highlights uh, in your report. Uh, in SaaS, you, you've uh, said that even now, uh, even Indian uh, enterprises are now uh, looking to use SaaS products from startups. Uh, maybe give us a couple of interesting examples that you've come across. So I think, you know, post-COVID, uh, the need for, uh, you know, homegrown, cheaper and more effective solutions and products has risen, right? Uh, mm more number of unicorns have come in. I think, you know, I don't know the exact number now, but it's obviously uh, larger than 100, right? And these are large enterprises, uh, homegrown startups, which are having at least employee base of 1,000 plus or 5,000 plus, right? So they're very close to working like enterprises, but not there yet, right? 
but that neither are they startups, right? And that's a huge opportunity uh, for homegrown startups providing solutions not only for enterprises but this newer set of customers who are wanting these kind of solutions. And uh, within enterprise, I think you know uh, they you know they're able to, startups are able to now identify a unique need or problem in logistics or analytics, you know, expense management, you know, collaborative tools or RPA, API platform, et cetera, within the enterprise software market and develop a solution that addresses these needs uh, and, and address those specific uh, points. So overall, while the enterprise software market is highly competitive, there is still a significant opportunity for these startups to succeed and you know, differentiate themselves by offering innovative and valuable solutions to businesses and organizations. And mind you, post-COVID, the, the, the level of digitization which has come in in these enterprises and SMEs has increased, right? So everybody's wanting and are open to adopting newer solutions. And if they're homegrown, even better. And some of the things which we've seen in enterprise is, you know, uh, uh, solutions around, you know, cloud-based delivery, uh, mobile and web-based applications, uh, collaborative uh, solutions, uh, and also cybersecurity. I think that one facet is increasing a lot. Um, and a lot of cybersecurity solutions uh, are getting, for the first time, getting entry into these companies and also large enterprises. While the sales cycles still remain uh, longer, uh, but still uh, the, the ability to sell them eventually uh, has increased. Mm. To your mind, uh, has the, the Indian market now matured to an extent where SaaS companies can start from the get-go by focusing on Indian customers or will the playbook still involve looking for customers overseas? That's a good question and there's no straight answer to that. And I think we're still seeing, um, we are still seeing SaaS businesses, uh, you know, wanting to go to the international market, primarily the U.S. What has changed in the last two years, particularly during COVID and post-COVID, is the SaaS market accelerated uh, and suddenly saw a surge in requirement for uh, the Indian companies also. Right? All your domestic companies started working from home. The employees started working from home and they required newer HR tech solutions to managing their teams, right? Uh, so SaaS in our uh, even in our portfolio, I think, saw an accelerated growth. Uh, and my opinion is um, that, you know, founders need to develop this mindset that if they're developing or building a SaaS solution, there is a significant market in India. Uh, there is a learning curve, uh, albeit, uh, I, I agree, but there is opportunity. Uh, and I think over the next two, three years, we will see a good mix of SaaS companies reaching out to Indian as well as international, but uh, uh, but there is definitely a market for SaaS companies uh, being built out of India, catering to the Indian uh, company. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think certainly among the more established SaaS companies, there are good examples that I've come across uh, where they've got uh, you know good contracts from uh, the traditional conglomerates. I mean, recently I got a chance to learn about. Freshworks deploying uh, fresh service at the Mahindra Group. Absolutely. Uh, and I think uh, Zagal has for a long time has had uh, many Tata Group companies uh, as its customers. Got it. uh, so yeah, I guess I guess all of that is beginning to mature. All right. On the AI uh, the front, uh, 
I too have uh, seen this uh, aspect that you've called out about how it's helping marketing completely change the way they approach their customers. Uh, maybe give us one example of uh, some of the most interesting ways marketers are using AI today that you've come across and maybe also talk about uh, any other use cases that you think will increase in terms of adoption. You know, so just to begin uh, from a consumer perspective, you know, uh, I think, uh, uh, you know, Canva has disrupted the way we market, you know, at startups or even, and I'm assuming at the agency level and, and even larger marketing divisions uh, of larger companies, right? It's just that one tool. And with the advent of chat GPT, I think you're seeing some phenomenal, um, uh, you know, uh, content creation, which is happening. And, you know, when you place it intelligently, right, uh, there's so much to be done, right? And so much, so much automation and optimization, uh, which is coming in. And I think within, within the, within the space, which we are clubbing it under, you know, generative AI, I think, uh, you know, data generation uh, is one segment, which is emerging um, because, you know, this one one piece is you know uh, is being used to generate large amounts of you know synthetic data that can be used to you know train machine learning models um, and uh, you know text generation as I earlier mentioned right is is picking up right and this can be used for tasks such as you know chatbots content creation uh, automatic translation uh, you know as I mentioned earlier Victor.ai is a portfolio company and uh, you know uh, it translates any video into 52 languages. I think the number of languages has increased now. Um, and that's just a phenomenal way of converting you know, any training module to you know, any, any, uh, any type of language to reach out to a large set of uh, customers, right? And this is all happening with these technologies. Uh, image generation, right? Uh, you know, I've been using uh, a few softwares myself, experimenting with the softwares like you know, Lensa and just amazing content to kind of reach out to your audiences um, um, so, so that's, that's happening. And even music and video generation through, uh, generative AI has, is picking up, right? So all these things are leading to, uh, uh, use cases on the B2B side, but also on a B2C side where personalization is taking an effect, uh, you know, influencer utilizing these technologies to kind of you know, reach out to larger audiences. Also, you know, research and development has been impacted. Uh, where you know, such as in spaces like you know, dr drug discovery or material design, um, and then obviously the the you know uh, you're you're touching about evolutionary algorithms uh, 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 to gen you know to generate synthetic protein sequences, drug discovery. I think all of that is happening, and these are these are strong uh, positives which are emerging out of generative AI. And I think marketing is just the tip of the iceberg, right? But so many things because uh, just at the go, if you're able to kind of generate content, marketing comes to the mind. But there are so many use cases which are emerging. And I think it will be exciting to see how these use cases mature and you're able to monetize on these uh, use cases. Mm. Okay. Really curious about what got you uh, thinking about cloud kitchens. Uh, I mean, I would think that uh, the likes of Swiggy and Zomato have completely overhauled the delivery aspects of it. Uh, what are you seeing? that are still out there in terms of gaps, which are big opportunities? So I think, you know, uh, so quick service restaurants. As a fund, uh, you know, we've looked at every sector. And I think, uh, you know, my, my partner, Sanjay, uh, you know, he's invested in, you know, uh, in his personal capacity over the last 10 years in 150 plus companies. And I think he's 
He's had some great experiences with the QSR model from Box 8 uh, to Wow Momos, right? And 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 then at 100X, we've been looking at various models. And you've seen this evolution from his learnings, right? From when he invested, to what we're seeing at the fund side. And uh, what is interesting in QSR is uh, the opportunity still remains. Um, there is there is uh, a huge, huge need uh, because Indian consumers are now ready to kind of experiment and have more adventurous taste with you know greater appetite to try out new experiences in food. Uh, and the QSR sector with cloud kitchens you know, has been witnessing an exciting evolution phase for Indians who have the spending power and you know want to experiment with uh, you know newer newer kind of cuisines. I, I think overall the business of cloud kitchens in India is a growing and exciting area uh, with many opportunities for you know, innovative companies to tap into um, around you know the demand of food delivery. But however, it is also a competitive and challenging market. And success will I think is purely dependent on the variety of factors, including the quality of food, the efficiency of the delivery process and the ability to differentiate with competitors right and you mentioned swiggy swiggy is working on the delivery side um, whereas you know your ability to produce something tasty and then get it delivered in the right time and 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 you know me wanting to have uh, you know momos for an example and getting that momos within 15 minutes i think that need for the the current consumers has increased and i think hence qsr remains a focus area uh, even on the way the food is being made, right? So the kind of machineries which are being used, right? Human intervention or automation in terms of production of the food, right? Uh, those are those are nuanced uh, uh, things which we are looking at QS in, within QSR. And hence QSR uh, uh, remains uh, you know, important for us. And I think for any investor, I think in 2023. Any sectors that uh, come to your mind, uh, which may particularly face some difficult times ahead? So, you know, I, you're possibly asking the this question to the wrong person because I'm so optimistic about all sectors. And I'll give you my sense of why I feel, uh, uh, why I justify this optimism. And, and because, uh, as I mentioned, uh, India's reached a great point where, you know, we've got uh, access to a lot of uh, data, cheap data, and the ability of consumers to procure buy things, right? So, uh, for me, and from a hundred x perspective, I think every sector is up for grabs. Um, if it's an asset type model, and your ability to build out, I think from D two C to deep technology to health tech, agri tech, uh, all these sectors, for the first time in the last few years and for the next ten years, have so many business use cases in India, right? I think the sectors which will have uh, and I won't say sectors, I would say type of businesses who will face a tough time if they're asset heavy, they're burning a lot of cash and they've mm. taken on debt um, mm. and their burn rate is very high vis-a-vis -vis the profit uh, for a D2C brand if your margins are not being met, right? the margins are low. I think those kind of businesses will have a tough time. But, uh, but there is no one sector in my mind uh, which is which is under the radar, or, or which is which is not uh, on the radar for investors like us. I think um, uh, each sector is offering a newer model of development, whether it's agriculture, agri tech, whether it's biotech, whether it's health tech, SaaS, 
or D2C brands or deep technology. And I think all of these remain uh, a focal uh, area areas for us. So, so for me, no sector is a bad sector yet. Uh, for from an India perspective, I think only businesses which are asset heavy are not able to control their burn rates. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, have heavy debts will face down. Okay, and the backdrop of you know what you what you said you're seeing in the market in the economy. Any advice to aspiring entrepreneurs? My thoughts for and my views uh, for the entrepreneurs. I think 2023 is a great year. The last three four years have kind of built the infrastructure or the road to uh, you know uh, a, a, an ecosystem which is functioning on all levels right now. Uh, where you've got the support from government in terms of incubation centers and grants. Um, so you have the advantage of setting up a company. Uh, the ease of setting up a company uh, has come in. So you should go ahead and do that. Um, on the other side, you also have access to second-time entrepreneurs who've built businesses, possibly failed, and or have gone to IPO. And we've got these examples, which were not there 10 years ago. Um, and most important, homegrown domestic funds sitting on capital to deploy capital because we have to. We have the capital right now. We raised it. Uh, it's a great time to be building out startups. More importantly, I think the whole mindset and culture of starting up, right, has become a way uh, a lot more cooler and accepted as a cultural thing um, uh, as compared to maybe 10, 15 years ago when we guys were starting out, right? So. The whole cultural acceptance, uh, the the ancillary ecosystem evolving, uh, puts us at a great point where entrepreneurs should go out, experiment, uh, fail fast if they do, uh, because uh, it's acceptable now, and 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 you might end up becoming building something which is solving a large problem because there are many problems to be solved within India. We still need uh, digitalization or cheaper solutions or effective solutions to be provided to customers or enterprises or SMEs for that matter. So, so my thoughts is, you know, uh, you've got funds like 100x.vc who are wanting to take the risk uh, and, and you've got the government support in terms of various policies and grants, even from hardware startups, you know, working in biotech, uh, the ability to build out uh, through incubation centers. So go ahead, experiment, uh, because this is the year for experimentation and the road uh, ahead uh, can be a very large pop in, uh, opportunity for from an Indian consumer standpoint. Very nice. Shashank, uh, wonderful update, sir. Certainly, many things to be optimistic about in 2023. Cool, great conversation. Thank you so much for making time for this. Definitely hope to keep it going. Thank you, Hari. Thank you so much for having me and we're looking forward to meeting you soon. That's it for this conversation. I hope you found it interesting. You can find all our podcasts at ForbesIndia.com and on your favorite podcast app. I'm Hari Arakli. Thank you for listening.